Welcome to another Dragonman Saga review episode. It is Misham Pales Wealth the Tenth. My name is Addy. <laughs> My name is Adam, and I'm early. You're welcome. <laughs> I don't know. All right, so uh, today I'm going to give you my spoiler-filled review of Dragons of Fate by Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman. Of course, this is the novel that was released last week that we have been waiting a year for <laughs> after Dragons of Deceit last year at the same time was released to questionable acclaim. Some people absolutely loved it. Some people were less enthusiastic about it, and some people really genuinely did not like it. I fell somewhere in the middle where I enjoyed it, but I saw some issues. This isn't much different than that. I guess, ultimately, this comes down to how you feel about the changes the authors made to Dragonlance history. And there are some changes, so we're going to get into that here throughout the course of this. Uh, just to give you guys a sort of heads up on how this works is I'm going to give you my pre-written review, uh, which I actually scribed down as I was reading it. So I'm going to be skipping over a bunch of parts. I'm going to be sort of hyper-focusing on others. And that's just kind of how I run these reviews. After the written review, I'll just sort of riff. So if you have any thoughts or comments and you're joining me live, put them up in chat and we can sort of bounce off each other a little bit and just sort of riff on Dragonlance. If you're watching this after the fact, well, welcome. I hope you guys would consider putting in a comment, and that way I'll reply to you, and other fans of Dragonlance can also reply to your thoughts. So, and one thing that we always, you know, I always sort of harp on on this, but it is something that I find relatively important anyway, is that we all love Dragonlance in our own way. We come to it with our own baggage, and there's no right or wrong when it comes to Dragonlance. My perspective may or may not differ from yours. That's okay. We don't have to agree. We are not a monolith. We're fans. <laughs> and, and we're a little bit weird, to be honest. We're fantasy fans, which is like a subset of fandoms. Anyway, let's get into this. I would like to take a moment and invite you to become a member of this YouTube channel if you're not already. And of course, if you are, thanks! <laughs> you guys are great. You can always pick up Dragonlance Gaming Materials using my affiliate links as well. All right, so let's get into it, shall we? Hey, Chris, how you doing, man? You've been dying to talk this about the book. All right. Well, the time is nigh. <laughs> we begin where we left off in Dragons of Deceit. Dalimar is given the pieces of the broken device of time journeying by Astinus of Planthus. He takes them to Justarius, the master of the Tower of High Sorcery in Weyrith, to have it repaired. They realize that without all of the pieces, they would be unable to put it back together. Then reflect on information about it in Justarius's Silver Book. I do like how there is contentious world, or I'm sorry, contentious, continuous world building in each of Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman's novels, even when it seems to not be fully developed. These silver books are an example of something totally new that was fleshed out just enough for me. They reflect on Ranneker's clock from the previous novel, and Justarius mentions Alice Ranneker, a failed student. I do want to sort of put a pin in it at this point, I find it absurd, patently absurd, that two masters of Towers of High Sorcery would be unable to craft an artifact, but an apprentice who they don't even want to have take the test of High Sorcery is more than capable simply because she's the great, great, great granddaughter of someone who was wonderful at making artifacts. 
doesn't really logically fit in anything, but okay. Then we move to the past where Destina, Tasselhoff, Raceland, and Sturm are. They had overheard Huma and Magius in a previously not... Um, they overheard Huma and Magius in the previous novel and are hiding in the plains not terribly far from the High Clarist's Tower. This is the first point of contention that I would like to bring up. The Knight's Spur. In canon, it was built after the Cataclysm by the city of Palanthus for protection in the absence of the Knights of Salamnia. In Vinus Salamnus' era in the Age of Might, it didn't exist at all. So the fact that it's so heavily featured in this means that they never took the bother to look up when the Night Spur was actually created. And one thing that we always have to remember is that Margaret Weiss and Trace Hickman always refer to the original modules, the original DL modules, Leaves from the End of the Last Home, the first one, uh, the Atlas of the Dragonlance Saga, and their Chronicles, Legends, and Chroni Lost Chronicles novels. Those are canon to them. And so they always refer to those. They don't refer to anything that has extrapolated on the legends uh, of, you know, the sort of the history of that. That's why we didn't see any Kaz the Minotaur. That's why we didn't see any of the other things like Knight Spur being here in this time. Because it's mentioned in the Atlas of the Dragonlance world, but later lore clarified that it was created in the Cataclysm. It didn't say when it was added in the actual atlas. And so I, I always want to temper these sort of things because where Dragonlance lore has evolved throughout 1st, 2nd, Saga, 3rd, and now 5th editions, novels have extrapolated and contentiously changed lore. The authors always refer to the originals, AD&D content. So, whereas I'm saying it was in fact built in the Cataclysm, I don't think that was even clarified until, arguably, Saga System. So that was right after 2nd edition. So we always have to keep that stuff in mind. It, it, they don't have to be, like, geniuses to memorize every aspect of developed Dragonlance canon or lore, but it would be nice to just check, check the wiki really quick or check maybe one of my videos, which I do extensive research on. So, you know, it's very, very easy to find the answers if you're trying to. They didn't, so that's okay. All right, but this novel, it was built after Vinus Salamnus died, but is present a thousand years earlier, something that has no bearing on the story, so why change it? It's because they didn't research it. The second error is that Magius made the Staff of Magius. This was clarified in 2nd edition, More Leaves from the In the Last Home, in an article, or maybe it was Lost Leaves from the In the Last Home, called, or maybe it was The History of the Dragonlance Saga. Uh, in either case, it was one of those three source books, and it was called The Obsidian Chest. And that article noted that the Staff of Magius was actually pulled out of the Obsidian Chest by someone named Shadara 4,000 years before Magius was even born. Why change it? Why wouldn't, why would, it wouldn't even alter the story if they kept that sort of note that has already been developed and has been in print for decades. But, oh well. All right, so back to the story. The group is sitting around explaining to Taz how Destina and Mari and how, uh, I'm sorry, how Destina was Mari and how there is no Mari at all. 
Taz finally accepts the fact and the party splits up. It's important to note here that a lot of people are saying, well, they couldn't have changed the book because they already had it halfway written when the first book was published. And whereas they had a full draft of Dragons of Fate, yes, it goes through an incredible amount of rewrites and changes and notes. All of the, like the two authors and people who have helped the authors have repeatedly said they've made changes after that initial draft was written. It's a normal process. It happens all the time. So is it possible that they changed Tasselhoff's perspective after fan backlash from the first novel? Yeah, it's entirely possible. Did they? I don't know. Maybe, probably not. I don't know. But they could have changed it. So anyone that's like sort of throwing their fist in the air saying that couldn't have happened because it was already written, guess what? Once editors get involved, things change a lot. And once you start researching the lore of your own book, things change a lot and people rewrite things. Movies have reshoots. Books have rewrites. It's just a reality. All right. So Sturm goes to protect a human beset by goblins that Raceland doesn't trust for no reason whatsoever, and Taz goes searching for water with Destina in tow. They're also attacked by goblins and saved by, drumroll, Gwyneth the Silver Dragon in colonial form. She casts a spell on Taz to prevent him from saying that the gray gem, uh, saying the word gray gem, and clarifies a wonderful point of interest that I've always had, and that is, is it called the gray gem? Or is it called the Grey Stone? Well, according to Gwyneth, which I thought this was great, dragons call it the Grey Stone, and humans, mortals, call it the Grey Gem. Why the difference? I don't care. The fact that they pointed out the difference, I think, is great. Because it has always been one of those things that it's thrown up. It has different spellings for each version of the phrase, or of the word, and it's just always been something that's bugged me. All right, so Gwyneth says it is known as the Grey Gem by humans, with something to that effect, saying that the dragons know it as the Grey Stone, as if its true name is referenced differently among different species or cultures. It's a small touch, but I liked it. She then sees Huma and flees. Now, in this timeline, they never fell in love or traveled to get the dragon lances together yet, as Huma and Magius connect with the party. Sturm realizes that Huma was a much more pragmatic knight about the measure than the legends led him to believe, and Raceland is impressed by Magius, and this is where the book stops being led by Destina and is led as more a buddy cop fantasy between Raceland Magir and Magius. I don't mind, but it did seem odd. What transpires is a bunch of back and forth of Taz leaking out information that he should not know, and Raceland, Sturm, and Destina trying to convince Huma and Magius that Taz is crazy and or lying. And it's pretty ridiculous, because later on, Raceland just tells Magius everything. So why the pretense earlier? I don't know. It's not like they didn't know who Magius and Huma were. They're legendary people. So they knew they were on the right side. So if you were just going to tell them anyway, why did you wait till the last third of the book? So they all plan on traveling to the High Claris Tower. However, there is a goblin army between them and their destination. So they have Magius teleport them there. Once inside, they meet with the commander, Sir Titus Belgrave, who is eventually convinced they are friends and can, in fact, stay in the tower. They mention the Knight's Spur, which, again, is a thousand years out of time. It was built by the people who planned this in the absence of the Knights during the Cataclysm. It's a pretty big error to make, and not one explained away by chaos being present. But that is just the first of a number of errors 
Magius and Raceland became besties, and Gwyneth is caught sneaking around and imprisoned, where everyone goes to talk to her one at a time. That's right. She eventually breaks herself out and returns to Foghaven Vale to collect some dragon lances after realizing that she is in fact in love with Huma, and she has no real choice if mankind is to survive the coming war. Now, the commander informs the party that they have a thousand men, but hundreds of them died escorting refugees to Palanthus. Apparently, the Minotaur Nation invaded and is occupying Palanthus. Tasselhoff knows that the knights need the Dragonlances, and since the Song of Huma is not fully realized at this point in time, he travels to Gnomes to find it, believing that his uncle Trapspinger helped the Gnomes make the Dragonlances. What he discovers is that they made a mechanical ballista device that was supposed to be destroyed. However, Tasselhoff made it work, and it begins traveling to the Dragon Army. Now, this happens, like, I don't know, the first, I don't know, quarter, of, or the second quarter of the book, and he stays out of the book until the last third. He's absent for a very long time, for no apparent reason other than he's just riding a machine with gnomes, and that's it. All right. <laughs> In this version of history, there's no Kaz the Minotaur or Galen Dracos. It seems that Immolatus, the Red Dragon, is in command of the Salamnic Front, and Magus and Huma are much closer. Uh, you know, you'll remember from the Legend of Huma, Magus was a little bit shady, even though they were childhood friends. There's a little something-something going on between them that is completely absent and different in this version of history. Magus even is supposed to follow the measure. Why? I don't know. <laughs> the knights don't even know who he is when they meet him. They only know who Huma is. And so why would he, as a war wizard, which they don't even know what the hell that means, have to follow the measure, which is a Knight of Salamnia thing? I don't know. It's just in the book. Okay, then. Raceland decides to confide in Magius as the hopes that Magius knows where the device of time journeying in this time resides. They believe it's in the Tower of High Sorcery in Palanthus, and Magius learns of the Dragon Orb in the future in the basement of the High Clarus Tower, but that's also wrong in this time, suggesting that Magius is the one who leaves it there. But what about the Dragon Trap construction? Right now, it's a temple. So we actually get to that later. Raceland and Magius travel to Palanthus and see that it's filled with minotaurs. They anger some of them and fight their way to Shoik and Grow. They eventually enter the tower, and the tower's master, Snagsby... Yeah, that's his real name. Master of the Tower of High Sorcery in Palanthus is named Snagsby. Because why wouldn't he be? He refuses to help Magius as, I quote, he is not a member of their order. Magus isn't a member of the Orders of High Sorcery. So, if he's not a member, is he a renegade wizard? Why is he allowed in the towers if he's not among their orders? It doesn't make any sense. But again, it doesn't have to, because chaos? An apprentice named Anita Belgrave, daughter to Commander Belgrave, gives them a dragon orb, because why not give someone who's not even in your orders the dragon orb? but tells them that the device of time journeying is in the Tower of Awareth, and they know that there's no way they're going to be able to get to that. They return to the uh, High Clarus Tower with the Dragon Orb and talk about the coming battle, broing it up together. 
we get a flashback of the creation of the Dragonlances, which, much like nearly everything else in this book, is completely different from the established lore as far as I can tell. A dragon named Sharkfang came up with the idea of making the Dragonlances, and the first was made by Rerix himself. The rest were made all by dwarves. They even go over the history of gnomes and scions, which differs a bit from all other sources that I know of. At this point, I am sure, 100% positive, that they are just willy-nilly changing what they want with zero regard to anything else. They can always fall back on the Grey Gem if they want, so I don't really know how I feel about it. Then, in Book 2, we return to the present with Dalimar and Jostarius, who visit Al Alice Ranneker, the great-great-great-granddaughter of the famous Ranneker, who made the clock that Dalimar used in the first book to see past the Chaos War into the Fifth Age. This is odd, since Tasselhoff couldn't see that future until he was trapped in it. And he couldn't see back into his past future because it was separate. And his first glimpse was a peaceful future before Takesis stole the world away. And they wrote that story. So they're changing their own lore now at this point. Nothing matters. <laughs> but hey, Grey Gem, right? Alice remakes the device of time journey, improving on the design, making it a sphere this time, and shortens the poem to activate the device, even allowing more people to travel with it. She uses it to prove that it in fact does work, and they have Brother Karen from the first novel travel back in time to collect the party. This is my second reading of the book to write this, and I have to say, I don't mind the new device at all, but I do mind the occasional sticking to canon when it's convenient, and separating from it also when it is convenient. Brother Karen travels back in time to the High Claris Tower, only to be collected by the Knights of Salamnia. Sir Titus summoned Destina to his office, where she recognized Karen, and Titus finally has had enough. He demands to know what the hell is going on, as he clearly is in the dark about what the Companions are doing there. He's called out of the room, and Huma and Sturm overhear Karen and uh, Destina talking about Gwyneth being a silver dragon and the Grey Gem. Huma confronts Magius about Gwyneth, and he tells Huma that it's her secret to reveal, but it would make sense if it were in fact true. Destina is attacked by Mullen Tully, the guy that Raceland had no reason to be suspicious of and yet was in fact suspicious of him, turned out to be a spy. Overheard them talking about the Grey Gem when he was first discovered, and his hand was severely burnt trying to get to it, so he returned to Immolatus and told him about it. Immolatus summoned a new species called the Gudlos, who seem to be stand-ins for the tarmac without the magical blue paint. They don't believe in the gods, but their wizard is incredibly powerful, so she must be a sorcerer using wild magic? I don't think the authors really care about any of Dragonlance's rules at this point, so I just roll with it. They're tasked with finding and collecting the red-robed mage who knows about the Grey Gem and Destina who holds it. They leave, ready to execute their charge, and Immolatus leaves to create a diversion. Gwyneth returns with the Dragonlances and shares their existence with Huma as well as her true identity. I was actually moved by their love and passion for each other. I'm a romantic at heart. And their love story has been part of Dragonlance lore from the very beginning, literally in Dragons of Autumn Twilight. So it's beautiful to read. Magius begins to try to use the Dragon Orb, but stops, and then Immolatus attacks. He is forbidden from destroying the tower by Tachesis, who actually wants to use it as a base, but he ignores her demands and breaks in. As the Gudlos... <laughs> I don't know why the Gudlos exist. I don't know why you couldn't just say any barbarian group stand-in, uh, Kurish tribe, no, uh, nomads, anything. 
you, they just they continuously build up new species that have zero connection to anything else, so we have zero understanding of why they can do what they want them to do in the story. But okay. So the Gudlos sneak into the tower. Magius sends the dragon orb to the basement, which will be discovered by Taz in the future, and Immolatus destroys the ground level to be rebuilt as the dragon trap in the future. See, at least they try to wrap that little nugget back to history. The Gudlos find Magius and Raceland, subduing them both remarkably fast, and take Magius to the Dragon Army camp. Meanwhile, another group of them go after Destina. Immolatus breaks into the temple where Gwyneth and Huma are and attacks them. Huma strikes him with a dragon lance, and Gwyneth point-blank blasts him in the face with a cone of frost. They fight as Immolatus wounds Gwyneth and Sir Titus arrives. He takes up a dragon lance like a badass and spears Immolatus, but the dragon bites him, nearly killing him. Immolatus retreats, and the other knights arrive to witness the death of Titus. This was yet another in a long string of moments where my eyes were completely misted over. This man was doing his best to stand up against the Queen of Darkness's forces, knowing that he would fail, but refusing to abandon his post. He faced a dragon, knowing he would die, but refused to back down. Standing up to bullies is something that I have always done myself, and I can't help but appreciate seeing it in others, fictional or not. Will took center stage here to deal with Titus's remains, and Huma was given command. Destino was confronted by the Gudlos and threw the gemstone at them, which fried their brains, killing them instantly. Raceland and Sturm decided to go after Magius, knowing, if they were successful, that it would in fact change history, but mm, they're bro-cops now, so it's okay. They snuck into Immolatus' camp, really easily, killed the last two Gudlos, who died remarkably quickly compared to the power they presented earlier when they subdued Magius and Raceland in a second, they spoke with Magus in his last moments, and Magus force-ghosted to Huma after death with Greta. No shit, it actually happened. <sighs> Raceland talked to the staff of Magus as if Magus' soul or ego was a part of it, which makes no sense at all. And uh, anyway, Immolatus sent Mullen Tully to kill Destina, because he was so successful the first time he went after her, and to kill Huma and Gwyneth with an evil artifact named... <laughs> Death Dealer. A little on the nose, perhaps, but it was made by ancient ogres for Tachesis. Why Immolatus has it in a chest? I don't know. Chaos? It fired. <laughs> so ridiculous. Um, let's see. I, I'm like skipping over here. Tully left to see it done, and Taz showed up riding the gnome's mechanical ballista finally. It fired and took Immolatus' horn off and then exploded, destroying the entire camp except Immolatus and Sturm and Raceland and Tasselhoff and some gnomes, but the entire Dragon Army camp was destroyed. So, good thing there's little gullies or trenches or rocks to hide under, I guess. Okay, so Sturm and Raceland reunited with Taz and returned to the towers the Dark Queen was arriving with knowledge of the Grey Gem. They all play cat and mouse trying to find each other with Benny Hill music playing the entire time in the High Clarice Tower and ended up in the temple when Mullen Tully attacks and kills Gwyneth, Huma, and Sturm? <laughs> Though he wasn't confirmed dead, so he must be mostly dead. 
Anyway, with the Dark Queen winning the Third Dragon War, they all use the time device of time journeying to return to the meeting of the inflow Infellows. But not at all. I'm sorry, not all is as they expected. Brother Karen arrived alone and traveled to the end of the last home to see draconians there looking for the blue crystal stat. Kidiar and the Blue Dragon Army High Kidiar is the Blue Dragon Army High Lord, and she's there as Goldmoon and River Riverwind are also. Raceland arrives as a black robe wizard in Blue Dragon Army with Kit and Karaman to tell Karen that the Queen had one and has been in control of Kryn ever since. Karen leaves to tell Astinus and seek his counsel, and the book ends. Talk about an insane cliffhanger. Now, of course, I skipped a ton of key moments that any Dragonlance fan would love to read about, so definitely read this book. If you didn't enjoy Dragons of Deceit, you should read this book. If you just like the authors, you should definitely read this book. All of my gripes aside, this was a great read both times and arguably better the second time. So what do you guys have to say about it? You enjoyed the last third of the book more than any other section. The first two books, Soth doesn't kill anyone in this story. Why? John, single track mind. Uh, you have Faith and Wise Hickman that Ranneker's daughter is going to end up being some sort of avatar to explain how she could remake a new time. Is she going to be the next Mina, Chris? Because Margaret Weiss said that she is, in fact, writing an Alice Ranneker story. Who knows what form it'll take, but she is writing it because she was so inspired by the characters. So that uh, may be a next book. Not the third novel in this trilogy, but another whole novel unto itself. Um, let's see... You do love what they do with Magius. That guy was awesome in this book. You could see why Raceland likes him so much. Yeah, he was, uh, he was a troublemaker. And I actually really appreciated that. I thought it was cool. Can you be Weiss and Hickman's go-to guy? <laughs> John, I don't know. I would love to, but um, I just don't know everything. You know what I mean? I, but I tell you what, I would research the questions, and I would find the researched answer I wouldn't just be like, well, it's not in that book, so no. Ugh, that bothers me. Speaking of lore, you recall that the pr uh, prior canon had multiple good dragons battling at the High Clarus Tower, along with Huma, and I don't recall Minotaurs taking over Planthus. I think you're right 100%. There were multiple dragons, and there was, in my understanding, no Planthus. In this story, they say that the Planthians fought back the Minotaurs and retook their city. In the original canon, uh, which was the Legend of Huma book, there I don't think there was any real mention of Planthas. I'll have to read it again or look at my review again, but I don't I don't recall it ever even being mentioned. I don't mind stuff like that because if it's never been mentioned in another book, then it's open. You know what I mean? It's it's fair game. Your biggest criticism of the first half of the book is the tone wasn't appropriate for the situation. The knights are surrounded by armies of thousands set to exterminate them, and they weren't concerned. That's what I liked about Commander Titus Belgrave. He was so frustrated. He's like, you can't go anywhere. There's an army right there. Do you all not understand we are at war? Like, he was the only one that was trying to drive it into the heads of these party members that... There's an active war happening. You can't just go running around willy-nilly. Like, you're going to die. And no one seems to care because there's no consequences for anyone. Let's see. Vegas Odds tells you that Weiss and Hickman are gone after the third volume. Hasbro are obligated to let them finish the trilogy per the settlement. You know that they're salivating to get rid of them. 
I don't know if they're solving to get rid of them, but you're 100% right. And I think it all comes down to money when it comes down to corporations. If these three novels do an insane amount of money, well, then it would make good financial sense to allow them to make another book. Um, they've done it in the past with the um, um, Dark Disciple trilogy with just Margaret Weiss. And if Margaret Weiss has a treatment about Alice Raniker that she's really in love with, maybe they'll end up buying it and letting them release it. So you never really know because it's still early. You know, this is just the second of a trilogy. Uh, but I, they did just sell off, like I told you guys months and months ago, they sold off their film division even after Dungeons & Dragons Honor Among Thieves did so well in the theater. So Hasbro doesn't give a damn. They'll do whatever they want to focus on like making digital gaming. And so if the novels don't fit in with their digital gaming, which I don't think they will because they're the classic Dragonlance, then they probably won't. So it's totally up in the air at this point. The scene with Magius dying was great in your opinion. You love that Stern pretended to be whom? Oh, yeah, me too. I, I really... I thought every death in this novel was emotionally resonant. It was earned. You felt the weight in the other characters present. I thought, you know, Will crying when he was going through Titus's paperwork to burn it, to protect it from uh, the dragon armies getting it, I thought was beautiful, you know? I mean, he had worked with Titus for years and years and years. Of course, he would be emotionally connected. And he's, the death is so raw, it's so new, that he is genuinely in pure sorrow. Even though there's a war around and he has to focus on what he has to do, he's still unable to hold back what arguably is a completely rational way of dealing with your emotions, you know? I, I thought that was great. So the explosion scene was described poorly. They didn't even make it seem like they were running away long from the gnomish device. Yeah, that was it was really weird. First of all, for the top half to go flying off, cut off Imelotus's horn, and then just continue soaring into the sky with a gnome chasing behind it. Did the was the gnome like ducking and dodging between the army camp? that was there? Like it, it just seems so strange. And then when they described that the entire army was decimated. But Immolatus the dragon, who was already hurt as hell, that was them saying, well, we have to save Immolatus because Raisin's going to meet him later. So we're just going to have him be hurt, but everyone else is dead. Well, what about the people that were sitting right next to it in a gully? They're fine because what? Two inches of height? It, it was just so ridiculous. Um, okay, what else? The ending was epic. You hope they continue with the timeline for a while. I'll get into speculation here in a second. Um, yeah, I mean, once they said that second books, you know, they were dramatic and, and I sort of guessed that one of the heroes was going to die like Huma or something. I never expected like this. I, when I was listening to it the first time and then reading it the second time, I was just like, I can't believe they did that. That is unbelievable that they would do that but so amazing because talk about a way to get your audience talking um here's here's the deal right let's let's sort of logically walk through this the third dragon war was won by tachesis so there is no istar with the king priest that is not a thing that can possibly happen so that means the Ores of High Sorcery are all still around. All the Towers of High Sorcery are around. There was no Cataclysm. So the 
whole continent looks like it did in the Age of Might and Age of Dreams. So it's all unified. There's no Shalsi or anything. Um, Tarsus is an ocean seafaring town still. And uh, yeah, I mean, everything is different. Why do they continually need a standing dragon army? I don't, I don't know. Like, I can't rationalize why they would need that. In the absence in, of the dragon armies, in the Cataclysm, the Knights of Slamnia were completely annihilated by local, like, like uh, uh, serfs and peasants. So with an active dragon army for thousand years, why would there be any Knights of Slamnia left? Why would there be any resistance at all? There, there literally wouldn't. There would be no sense. The fact that none of the dragons came to save them, none of the good dragons appeared, baffles my mind. Only Gwyneth? And then she had this long conversation with Paladine. And he was like, yeah, those stupid good dragons, they don't, they don't want to come and help save the world. So it's really just you and Silvara. Good luck. <laughs> like, Summon your dragons, man! You're their god! If Takesis can do it, you can do it! And then the only reason why... Uh, um, the only reason why um, the companions lived at all was because they were saved by Mishikal, right? Like, Mishikal showed up, or this was... They saved um, Huma and Gwyneth from Imelotus, I think. I might be getting the, the two dramatic events mixed up in my mind. But, like, Mishikal shows up in ghostly form, and then Paladine exerts his will, and that saves them from Immolatus. Otherwise, they would have straight up died. So the gods are already intervening, and it's never explained in any of this book. What the hell is the Grey Gem trying to do? I get, it's making chaos, that's what it does. It's not good or bad, it's just chaos. And so it just does chaotic things. But it's actively helping Destina, and then it opposes Destina, but not in a physical way, just flashing its lights on and off, like it's a headlight or something. Which is very strange. Like, if, it's the, if it can really do those incredible things that it's done to all of the bad guys that have tried to reclaim it, why wouldn't it do it to the good guys? It's not a good guy device. It's not good or bad. They went to great pain saying that. So that's out there. And then, how the hell does Raceland recognize Brother Cairn when he goes back in time? They made tons of statements about how Sturm, Tass, and Raceland will not remember when they go back to their own time ever having met Huma or going to, through time at all. They will never remember any of it. And yet, as soon as they get back, I mean, they even had conversations between each other about it. Sturm being like, but I want to remember Huma because he's a good man. And Rayson's like, well, I like potatoes, but I'm not going to know Magius. So, you know, and like sort of sling blading it. I don't know why I said that. My point being, they had actual conversations saying that they would not remember. And then, as soon as it's convenient for the plot, they all remember. Okay. I'm sure chaos is the reason. Illogical.
What else? Um, go see the newest Dungeon Craft episode. He gives the sales figures of the D&D books. Dragonlance sales were a disaster. Even the first Destiny's novel didn't sell. Doesn't look good. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll check that out. Um, just to make sure. I usually watch this stuff. I skipped over that one. I just get tired of people bitching about corporations as if no one understands the whole point of a corporation is to make money. So if they don't make money, then they don't do things. Like it's the most logical thing ever. But fans lead with their hearts. They don't lead with their brains. So I, I tend to not like listening to people complain about it. But he's actually a really great YouTuber. Um, how are they back in Solace if the queen won when the king priest would not have been? So no cataclysm. Well, Solace um, existed before the... Uh... Oh, jeez. Now I'm trying to remember. Because Solace... Ex Did Solace come up after... See, that's where I'm a little bit confused, Wolf Paws. Thanks for tuning in live, by the way. Because I think Solace existed before that. They built it in the trees to avoid um, plague and monsters and stuff, but I'm, I'm trying to remember exactly when it was built. I mean, you can pretty much explain anything away by saying chaos, which they've been doing throughout the whole novel. So, I don't know. I don't know. That's a good question. That's a really good question. <laughs> Add it to our list, our long parchment list of questions. Uh, the good dragons staying away made no sense. It only made sense in the War of the Lance due to the dragon eggs being held hostage. Exactly. Exactly. When the entire forces of all the dragons, uh, the evil dragons, are coming at all, like a, a few hundred Knights of Slamnia in the tower, High Claris Tower, why would the gods not bring the dragons out? There was no promise to stay secret. There was no, like, pinky swear. They just... And, and let's say there was. The bad dragons are back. So... Your boyfriend's back. You're going to be in trouble. Get the good dragons back out here. You know? Like, it, it makes no sense. And this is the other thing that, that really bothered me. You have an established history of this war. It has been out there in print for a very long time. If you want to adjust it and alter it and say that Immolatus is just one commander in Galen Dracos's command, that would make perfect sense. If you want to say that there are other dragons there, they just don't have the Dragonlances yet, that would make perfect sense. But to strip it down so much, so there's one dragon, she, she brought back like five lances and like two mounted lances, never used them, never even talked about using them. They only used, like, two footman lances in the temple against Immolatus. Like, the, the whole thing was pared down so much, it almost makes me think that they didn't want to go to the bother of writing it all. That maybe that would flesh out the novel so much more that they wouldn't be able to wrap their hands around the actual story they wanted to tell, which was the companions fundamentally changing history and then pop and smoke. So... I don't know. I like the whole thing was very, very strange to me. Like the more I think about it, the more I talk about it, the less I actually enjoy the story, even though I really did enjoy reading it. And I really enjoyed listening to it. I think reading it was better for me personally. I just, I, I digest content easier when I'm actively reading it, um, than listening to it. But, um, there's just so many flaws in this book that, that make zero sense. And I know, 
I know the answer, just like the answer to Taz being a complete jackass in the first book, is chaos. The Grey Gem. And so every inconsistency and everything in this book is just written off as Chaos the Grey Gem. But that only goes so far as to the presence of the Grey Gem in that moment. Anything that happened before that would have followed established history. You can change and alter things with the presence of the Grey Gem, but you can't just pretend like they didn't exist. Like, I, I don't know. The whole thing was very, very strange now that I'm thinking about it. All right. So what would I like to see in a third novel, you ask? Great question. Um, I want to see them re like write history back the way it, that it should be. They have to... Here, here's the deal. They have to go back in time before Huma and Magius were killed. In order to... Or not Magius, but Huma and Gwyneth. In order to prevent them from dying. Oh my gosh. My computer just went to sleep. I need a extend the time on that or like shake my mouse or something um they have to go before huma and gwyneth are murdered by tully and they have to somehow stop tully so then huma and gwyneth get on or huma gets on gwyneth's back with the mounted dragonlance and faces off against Tachesis. why they didn't include kaz is beyond me like He's a great character. He could have added a lot of wonderful frustration and camaraderie to this. It would have felt larger in scope. And it's just one extra character. I mean, you already have a bazillion that you're referencing. Um, I don't know, man, because ultimately in the first novel, when they went back in time, they said that the events didn't catch up to them yet. The events of any change takes time to catch up to them. So why this time it immediately caught up doesn't make any sense to me. Like, at least be consistent with your own time travel rules. You know what I mean? That's the thing that kind of bugs me. Possible that uh, when they traveled back in time when they with the Grey Gem, it was back in time to a different universe, so that's why everything is different. See, I'm not entirely sure. Whenever they're asked, uh, the authors are asked about alternate timelines and stuff they always say the river of time continues to flow no matter what that's their full answer every single time and that tells me that there's only one universe that the river of time establishes the universe and that it will continually flow it may be changed from events in the past due to the presence of the gray gem or a gray gem creature like tasselhoff as has been proven in uh, the legend or the legends trilogy <clears throat> And yes, rivers can divert, but that's more of like a Marvel DC thing than a Dragonlance thing. They've never really addressed that before. And so it would be strange to do it now when this is, as far as we can tell, the final trilogy that they're ever going to write in the Dragonlance universe. Um, to then sort of like leave it in a place begging for more novels or game products that we're just not going to get. That would be almost mean <laughs> of them, you know? Like, it would hurt my feelings a little bit. But you're right. They could totally do it. I mean, they've, they've already ignored a whole lot already. So they, they've clearly stated that this is our story. We don't care what anyone else has put out there in the Dragonlance uh, storylines. We are only going to be referencing this core stuff that we have written that's happened before this book. So what are you going to do? Like, you just have to accept that this is their vision and, and you live up. You, you either accept it or you don't. That's all you can do. 
you know. Whether you like it or not, it's different than accepting it or not. So you enjoy the river approach with time travel, but it doesn't make sense to you. Uh, you believe more the butterfly effect. Even the smallest change in the past is devastating. And they explain that as the river is vast and massive, and small changes won't stop the flow of a river. You throw a pe pebble in, and it's not going to change the course of a river. So I would argue that murdering Huma and Gwyneth is a little more than a pebble. <laughs> and what about Sturm? He was struck with the exact same blade. I mean, he was clearly strong enough to put his hand on the device, apparently. Like, they all did their, like, team venture thing. But what, what about him? Is he dead? Did he make it alive? Did the others get taken to different times? Is Alice Ranneker's device not as solid as they anticipate? Were the changes that Chaos made so great that they affected the device itself? I mean, there's so open questions that you could literally go any direction with them, and the I think the authors are the authors are enjoying that openness. It seems to me that they're not beholden to anything because as long as they have Gray Gem and Chaos in the river of time, then everything is up for grabs. And they're not even going to be beholden because they've already diverged from their own novels at this point. So they're not even beholden to their own writings anymore. They can literally do anything they want in this playground. I'm open to it because I enjoy their writing and I enjoy sort of what-ifs, but the lore side of me that makes this YouTube channel that tries to distill information into a cohesive this-is-what-Dragonlance is is going insane. <laughs> like, that part of me is going absolutely mad. Uh, even though I can't help it, I enjoyed the novel. So, I don't know. Any other questions or comments? Let me, guys, you know, let me know what you guys think, because ultimately... Oh, wow, I look like a wild man. My hair's all crazy. All right, well, that is going to do it for my review of Dragons of Fate by Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman. What did you think of the ending? Has the cataclysm occurred since the Queen of Darkness has ruled since the Age of Might? And finally... How does Raceland in the present recall what occurred in the past when they went to great lengths saying that no one would remember once they left the past? You can email me at info at dlsaga.com or comment below. I would like to take a moment and remind you to subscribe to this YouTube channel, ring the bell to get notified about upcoming videos, and click that little like button. All that goes to help other Dragonlance fans learn about this channel and its content. And this channel is all about celebrating the wonderful world and at times insane and frustrating world of the Dragonlance saga. Thank you so much for joining that celebration. Till next time. This is Adam with Dragonlance Saga. Slon Javar. Thanks, Chris.